1: Body and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host Michael McCall, and this is episode 390. So it's been another interesting week around the world with Joe Corona, and to talk about that, we're going to bring in Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. How are you doing tonight, Zach?
2: Doing well, Michael. On this fine Easter Sunday.
1: Yeah, I was going to say happy Easter to you. Hope you've had a, a good day with with eggs or religion. Whatever you chose to celebrate with. <laughs> I
2: spent the day with Jesus and my family. I'm not, actually, I, didn't, I haven't had any eggs today. Oh, no, 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 no. I had eggs for breakfast.
1: I, if you like, spent the day with Jesus, I hope you were socially distancing.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean... We could talk about this in greater detail. But we <laughs> my yeah. sister had lots of chocolate eggs today, though, or not uh, not lots, but some chocolate
1: eggs. I had my my last Cadbury's cream egg that I brought back from Scotland, so it was a sad day.
2: Oh yeah, well, you really ration those?
1: Yeah, I Caitlin wasn't allowed any. I gave her I gave her one in the end. I succumbed, but I brought back a big tin.
2: My in-laws stopped by this afternoon in the backyard where we can social distance and. They set up a hunt for our kids, and then... Oh, nice. I think we're doing, like, a little one tomorrow morning with our kids as well, in the nice.
1: house. Well, Easter Monday is one of my favourite days of the year, because I like to refer to it as cheap chocolate day.
2: Yes. Although I don't know it's going to be quite that... I don't think it's going to be, like, normal.
1: I don't know, I'm going to...
2: Nothing's like normal
1: now. <laughs> I'm going to look online to see if I can get any cheap deals, but yes, yeah, you said, nothing's really normal anymore. What is What is normality anymore? There's a, a thing we could fill a whole show with, really. That's true. So let's get into the football talk. And we'll we'll start off this week with having a look at what FIFA have been coming out and saying this week. Because they've been very active, actually. And I, I mean, we're, we're very critical of FIFA on this show, as we will be in the final part when we look at some headlines of the week. But they've they've been good. They laid out some guiding principles and recommendations on Tuesday. They've proposed that... All footballers' contracts be extended until such time that the season in their particular country does actually end. No contract extensions can kick in till the new season start. Transfer windows will be flexible. So, I mean, again, barring anyone challenging this in court, I think that's the sensible thing. And I've been calling for the governing bodies to kind of come out with a stance on this. So, at least the players and the clubs know where they stand.
2: So that's again, it's good. It's good for players who are going to be out of contract and going to be in a difficult spot. But what does it do for like? Because players can negotiate. Players who in six months of the end of their contract, the players whose contract was ending in June, right? Yeah. They they could have already made a deal before this uh, the pandemic really hit Europe, especially Europe. Yeah. Really hit the whole world. And so, some players have already chosen where they're going this summer. So I, I wonder if there's the flexibility in there for those deals to say, okay, those are going through because you have a contract. But uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be inter- I mean, we talked about this like a couple weeks ago. It'll be interesting to see how this actually fully like plays out. And then you know, once we hit the one the actual July first.
1: Well, yeah, because I mean, it's I guess in one hand, it's fair enough saying that. New contract extensions and stuff like that won't kick in until the new season start. But different leagues are clearly going to be coming back at different times. And different leagues around the world have different like, operating schedules over the course of the year. So, I mean, it could get a little bit messy. Yeah. But
2: Ronaldo.
1: mm, Well, I mean, you've got to look as well. There's going to be guys that were coming to MLS in the summer. And it's like, if, for example, a European league's not going to be finished until July or August, then they can't come over in the summer. Although we'll we'll come to MLS, I, I don't really think that's going to be too big an issue because I'm not sure MLS will be back playing by then either. But it all really depends what the governing bodies like UEFA decide and whether they let leagues finish by a certain day or they all say, look, you either have to try and finish your league by this date or if you can't finish by this date, then it just has to be called at that point. It can't. It can't be never ending.
2: Michael, there's no, there's no one's gonna play football again until the fall at the earliest, right?
1: N- well, not, not necessarily. Not well, well, we'll come to that in a bit in Europe because there's some interesting stuff coming out of, of Germany regarding that. Just, I mean, going back to FIFA. their their president Gianni Infantino, he's warned against restarting football too early. He said it would be irresponsible for leagues to do that. He stressed that health comes first, adding, no match, no competition, no league is worth risking a single human life. Everyone in the world should have this very clear in mind. And it's great to hear him coming out and saying that. And I would like to think that that message will hit home. But I still think that money is going to be the driving force for a number of leagues and a number of clubs around the world. And I'm not sure everyone is going to listen to that. And this, I mean, right up till today, there's still talk that some leagues are looking at a whole multitude of ways of somehow bringing it back in some form, not necessarily with fans, and we'll come to this later, but in some form, football could return in some countries before the fall.
2: I I I, tend, I mean I won't I don't always agree with FIFA and, and I don't always agree with Infantini, but you know this is a dude who's Italian whose country has been hard hard hit by this and yeah. like I I agree with him on this like stuff should not happen until until we know that things can be safe and hopefully measures can be put in place that will prevent clubs from you know going bankrupt or whatever and and they can make a way for for this but like. Yeah, I know the, the business side of things, like I you know all businesses are making plans of like, what does it look like if, if, if we can be partially functional by this time or fully functional by that time or whatever, but like this, you, you, you can't, you, we've seen what's happened with closed door matches and it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. Like in terms of if, if, if you leave the places in Europe, for example, if they need to continue social distancing or sheltering in place or whatever you can't say oh yeah and you know we're gonna have the Milan Derby at a you know closed venue right you're gonna have thousands of people show up yeah to the closed to the closed venue Uh, I hope I hope they'll actually live this out
1: I mean I, I would hope so and I mean finances are a big part of it FIFA they have cash reserves, it came out this week, of nearly $2.75 billion, which is incredible. They've said, though, it's not FIFA's money, it's football's money. And they said they are looking at ways to bail out and help cash-stricken clubs. And, I mean, they, I think that's great. They should, because why is that money sitting there if it's not for a time of crisis like this? Yeah,
2: that, that's what I, That's what I was saying. like, Hopefully something can be done to save clubs who this could be you know, catastrophic for, because... FIFA, for all the corruption that's happened in the past and all the negative things that's happened in the past, is they have done... You cannot argue that they have also done a good job in many, many places around the world. One of my favorite things back in the day when FIFA used to put up the FIFA magazine or whatever, you go pick up at chapters or whatever, is on every issue they would talk about uh, where their... I think it was called the gold program. They would talk about where the money from the gold program how it was being used around the world. And you read stories of, like, small nations and their FA uh, infrastructure or buildings or national training centers or training pitches or national stadiums being helped to be built or rebuilt or uh, recovered from a disaster or a, an all-season all surface being put in because of the, the climate or whatever. It was really great to see, you know, people spending millions of dollars in, in those kind of ways even if some of it was maybe and not ending up in the place it was supposed to, like the intent was was really good, and yeah. I agree with you, they have an opportunity to do something really positive with all this money that they have been bequeathed by 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 the game itself. You know, over the last you know whatever thirty years or forty years since the World Cup has become so huge.
1: I mean, across the world, finances is, is going to be the big thing. The longer that the shutdown goes on. Away from football, it was I was interested this week, Wimbledon, the the tennis tournament and not my not my love it lovely wombles, but they announced that they'd been paying two million dollar pandemic insurance for the last seventeen years. So they've paid out thirty four million. And they've cancelled Wimbledon altogether for twenty twenty. It's not taken place, so they didn't postpone it like some other events have done. And that's seen them get a payout of a hundred and forty one million in insurance for cancellation, which It's incredible, really, that they've shown that kind of remarkable foresight because that was a costly monthly premium that they're playing. I haven't heard of football clubs or leagues having anything like that. And, I mean, when you know that something like this exists, you have to then wonder, why would they not? Is it just the financial side? Did they think it was not going to happen? But, I mean, well done for Wimbledon for for thinking ahead like this.
2: Yeah, I heard about that too. It's crazy. Uh, you gotta imagine that premium is going to go drastically up, yeah near, near but that's like yeah at, at least the the organizers and the people for for, the, for that kind of term don't have to worry about the finance financial side of things in the short term, yeah i don't I can't see too many leagues or clubs around the world having invested in that way, and if they have we would have probably heard about it by now,
1: yeah, and the fact we haven't makes you think that they they definitely don't But it's looking dire for many, many football clubs around the world. I mean, moving to Germany first. DFL president Christian Seifert, he's warned that 36 teams in the top two divisions are now fighting for survival. Um, Schalke said on Wednesday that they fear for their financial future in the current crisis if the season isn't back underway by May, which obviously it's not going to be. They've even said uh, if closed-door games could start, then that would help them get some TV revenue, which would at least help them out a little bit. And there there was some murmurs on Twitter tonight um, that clubs are looking at possibly returning mid to end May in in the Bundesliga. And you have to feel that they're only doing that because they're the clubs are under such financial pressure that they're they're going to fold otherwise. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about Schalke. Are they a club that's kind of Lived out with their means to to compete, or are they just a smaller club that relies so much on gate and TV revenue that without this they're in big big trouble?
2: Yeah, no, you can you can never call Schalke a small club. They're probably the third biggest club in all of Germany after I mean they we used to be ahead of Dortmund. Oh right, so they're, arch, they're arch rivals. But yeah, they I think they have the third most member club members in the Bundesliga. Bayern is first, Dortmund is second, and they're third. So they're they're a huge huge traditional. Club, uh, they haven't always done well, like like super well financially. So they're not like Bayern, where they have like these reserves of money where they can kind of, you know, uh, they can take a hit here or there or whatever. Um, yeah, they're very much like yeah, if they don't make the Champions League; it's going to impact their squad, you know, kind of thing. Like the mm. how, how they can invest in their squad.
1: Um, I mean, does it does it surprise you that there's so many German clubs that are in such a perilous state?
2: No, again, uh, in part because they, because uh, because of their structure, right? So, because they are the fifty plus one, right? Because they are community, like this community connection. They don't have these. They don't have the same type of huge influx, influx of cash the way like the the Premier League teams do in England, right? Where they're owned by these oligarchs and these sheiks and whatever is, put in like tons and tons of their own money. Um, at least up until the. The play, fair play. We're kind of trying to alter that. It's not surprising that you know this will be you know a big. Uh, they will all take a big hit, and it, yeah, it could be devastating for them.
1: I mean, if you look at the the countries that's been worst hit in Europe, it's Italy, it's Spain, it's the UK now, and in Spain, La Liga say that they're hoping to resume. But league president Javier Tebas says May 28th would be the very, very earliest. But they're looking at dates into June and and beyond. I mean, when you look at what's happening there, it just seems so far-fetched. And it's the same in Italy, who, I mean, there was a report coming out of Italy today that they don't see the chance of there being any games played in Italy until 2021. So, I mean, these leagues and these countries that have been so badly hit, you just can't see them coming back. Even closed doors, it just it doesn't seem feasible with the strain that it would put on infrastructure and just everything.
2: No, it's that's why it's crazy. It's in one thing we can be talking about the possibility of it. Like this is where, yeah, if some of the the money from money from FIFA or the the leagues or whatever can help them help them in the in the meantime, that would be ideal. But it, 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 I feel like I know we we, we don't feel I mean this obviously is affecting all of our lives right like we're on the phone we're not sitting in the studio face to face talking about all these about fun football things Right? This is impacting our lives but it's so much like in, in Italy right like I have, I have a friend of a friend who's living there and it's it's like it's crazy it's crazy how this has shut down society right like yeah, and, and to expect them to be playing football in a, what a month, a month and a half from now is not unrealistic in any way, shape
1: or form. I mean, some of the big clubs, Real Madrid players, they've taken a pay cut this week to help out other employees at the club. Barca had already cut wages. A number of Serie A sides have done it. In England, the Premier League players they've rallied round an initiative started by Liverpool's Jordan Henderson. It's called Players Together. And they're trying to raise money for NHS workers. And talked a little bit about this on last week's show, that when Rooney and others had argued, no, don't cut our salaries because it means you're not getting tax money into the government. We will donate money to charitable causes to make sure it actually goes to those that need it and not help out rich owners. And so far, more than 150 players, and it's growing every day, have signed up to this play, Players Together thing. To, to get money into the NHS and I mean it's fantastic to see that. I mean it, is, it opens up all these other questions of governments have neglected putting money into health services around the world for years and it's now coming home to roost and in, in ways it shouldn't be up to the public to have to fund this. But if players who are paid obscene amounts of money for, for playing sport are willing to do that, they they do they do have to get commended for it.
2: Yeah no I think mean, undertaking that these players in England are, are looking to to, to to do in terms of looking after their their frontline workers. There. I think we talk about around the world. It, it, I you know Vancouver is a part of MLS and MLS is predominantly an American league. It's crazy when you think about how their their approach to healthcare, and how <laughs> yeah. how just how poor this this shows their healthcare system to be, and how. How broken and how so just based on capitalism the healthcare system is, and something like healthcare should not be uh, so negatively impacted by you know by companies trying to make the most money they can. You know what I mean? Like oh yeah, I, like you know yeah. It just it makes me thankful to, to have been born in and grown up in a country like Canada that has always you know, sure we pay more taxes and whatever, but we want to make sure that everyone. You know, and I'm not saying our health care system is perfect by any means. Or, or and I, and I, you know, I applaud all, all the health care workers who are you know, doing all the things they're doing in the midst of this pandemic. But, like, uh, I, I'm so thankful to, to be in a country that says, no, we care about people. And, and, and like, basic health care is, like, just, a, like, a, you know, the common denominator in our society.
1: Yeah, I I said a couple of shows ago, I've never been more grateful for for making the move over here than I am during a a time like this. And I mean, we won't get too much into the political side of it, but in the UK, the NHS is always, every election, it's like, oh, we're going to give more money to the NHS. And then it never happens. And then something like this happens. And you're like, well, you've deprived the, the service from getting money for years. Yes, now they've got a shortage of masks. They've got a shortage of equipment. But yeah, I mean it looks so dire down in the in the States. And before we actually get to to some impact of the coronavirus here on these shores, just want to to get to a couple of other quick things from over yeah. in Europe. Now, Scotland right now is an absolute shambles because the SPFL were wanting to to call the season in the lower leagues, the three lower divisions, with an agreement to also call the Premier League if UEFA agreed to ratify it. So all clubs had to vote by 5pm on Friday. 85% of clubs voted in favour of it. Some clubs didn't, for personal reasons. Rangers didn't vote for it because they don't want to give Celtic the title. Hearts didn't vote for it because it would see them relegated. Darius and Atas Partick Thistle, they didn't vote for it for the reasons that they didn't. they'd get relegated as well. One club, Dundee, didn't even vote. And because they didn't vote, it, their vote was crucial as to getting the percentage that they needed to push it over. So now it's all in a complete shambles. And then stuff has come out that they did vote, but then it didn't arrive in time. And then it was like the chairman said, If you've received that vote, that isn't our vote, we haven't decided yet. And now that rangers are threatening court action, hearts are threatening court action. It's an absolute shambles and there's going to be emergency meetings this week. And all the clubs want to do is get their payouts to help them survive. And until things get ratified, it initially came out that the Scottish League couldn't do that. Now they're saying that they could do that. And everyone's like, well, why did you not just give us the money at this point? So clubs are close to going to the wall. And we won't won't go into it too much, but this is the kind of situation where if all the clubs have their own personal interests at stake, it just develops into an absolute shambles. Yeah. It's sad to see.
2: Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> you would hope that Rangers could, on humanitarian means, would be able to say, okay, we'll we're, 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 we're allow Celtic to claim this title, but even <laughs> their their hatred for Celtic will not allow them to, to vote for that. It's that's yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's incredible. Last bit in this section, back to Germany, Bundesliga clubs they returned to training on Monday, or most of them did. Werder Bremen weren't given initially the local authorization to do it, but they're back training now. So the training in small groups of like up to four. There's no physical contact. Is that the way forward? Could we see like in BC the curve is looking like it's flattening? Restrictions could get lifted to an extent. Is it a sensible thing to get players back to to train in small groups? Or I think I'm of the opinion just leave it just now, let them train at home. But maybe the social aspect is also a key part of that for them. It's a it's a tough one. D- do you think it's right for Germany to to bring the guys back at this time?
2: Yeah, like I haven't seen Bayern back to training. So maybe. It's a- yeah, they were back oh.
1: on they were back on Monday. Oh,
2: they were on Monday. Okay. Usually, I get a little notification about that. They have a nice little Alfonso Davies uh, thing up on their on their uh, website now, from refugee Davy to Byron Starlit. Oh. um
1: maybe they're playing it down as well because they don't really want to to talk too much about it. But it's in very small groups, and they're not allowed any physical contact, which kind of just seems pointless.
2: Yeah, that's weird. I mean, it, like, yeah, it's, 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 I do so understand. I mean, it's not Italy. In terms of the severeness of the pandemic, yeah, I talked to a couple of people, a couple of friends in Germany, um, who I mean, they've they've been safe, they've been safe, and they've been able to work, you know, remotely from home or whatever. But I mean, it just doesn't seem wise for a football match to happen because of what will come from it.
1: Yeah, well, that's the the news from over in Europe, and we'll be continuing around the world with Joe Corona with a look at how football shut down is affecting Major League Soccer and the Canadian Premier League. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
0: Top of the top. I saved up so much money to spend. All I could afford is a bad weekend. And there's no reason for staying in. There's nothing on the television. Popular culture no longer applies to me.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was our artist of the month for April. English band Art Brute with Bad Weekend. That was the first Art Brute song I heard from them. It had featured on a, a free NME compilation, ironically enough, that had come by the, the magazine back in the day. It's from their debut album from 2005, Bang Bang Rock and Roll. I think it goes down as my favourite Art Brute song. I actually have two t-shirts based on that song and the, and the lyric popular culture no longer applies to me. I have an original one from back in the day. And then lead singer Eddie Argos brought out a special limited edition version last year, which I I got hold of a a long-sleeved version of. I think I might wear that in some of the Zoom chats I'm doing over the the coming weeks and months. But a fantastic band. And of course, it is always a a bad weekend without any football. And unfortunately, we're going to have a lot of those by the looks of it here in North America as we turn our attention now to football shutdown in MLS and the CPL. So, moving back to, to these shores now and looking at the impact that the shutdown in football has had in North America. In MLS, with every passing week, it's getting harder and harder to just see how there can be a, a Major League Soccer season this year. For anything, at the very greatest hope, is like a greatly reduced season. Maybe even if you can come back later in the year, you just have it in a, a knockout cup or... Something like that, and maybe just end up with one big playoff. It it just looks when you look at some certain states like New York in particular, New Jersey's badly hit, California's badly hit, Quebec. I mean, they've they've said that there's going to be no sporting events or festivals in Quebec until the end of August. It really is hard Zach, to to see th- this league back this year.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean. Like we were saying before, with, with Europe, like, we were whatever, like a month or two, a month and a half, or whatever, five, six weeks behind, kind of where they were at. Yeah. And even though, again, even though where we're living it hasn't hasn't had the same impact at this point, partly because of, I think, because of the for the most part, the people's good, the people's willingness to, do the, you know isolation social distancing stuff rather quickly here but still like you you cannot see a large public gathering like a football match or even a closed door tournament in Las Vegas like I know we talked about a couple weeks ago or whatever to get things going or whatever Uh, I, I can't see that happening for MLS in you know between now and September and I don't and I don't think
1: after that even really. Well, I mean Sounders owner Adrian Hanaar came out this week a lot of sense. In an article in the Seattle Times he was saying that there needs to be widespread testing before MLS can return. He talked about the need to have every person that's attending games to get tested, just even to get in. And right now, those kind of tests, there's not enough of them available, and the tests that are available, they need they're needed for frontline emergency workers and for people that are sick with the virus. So, to waste tests just for people to go to a sporting event seems selfish and just not going to happen.
2: You really like the flounders. Ever since you had that celebration uh, when they their MLS Cup victory last year, yeah.
1: Um, well, but it, no, I, their I, ownership group, to be honest with you, like their ownership group has been quite a model of, of how to 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 work in this league in a number of ways. I mean, they're certainly not perfect as all the stuff to do with Iron Flag and everything last year. Well, the Iron Flag? Yeah, but it was, wasn't the Iron Flag, was it? Iron Fist. Iron yeah. Fist, yeah. The Iron
2: Front? The
1: Iron Front. Iron Front. I, Iron Flag sounds something like from your neck of the woods back in Europe. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> no, I I agree with you. The founders have done a lot of
2: things well and they, ha- and they do have some quality people. You, uh, here's the thing, though, you know, when society is ready for sporting events again, the whole idea, I I mean, these people are obviously, they're business people, they're talking about how can we do this, like, as quickly as possible, and as safely as possible, but until there's a vaccine, right, if you're talking about saying, like, oh, you have to uh, have cleared a test, right, like, how long does it take to get the test done, and how what is the possibility of you being exposed and being asymptomatic between when you get the test results and when you walk into the stadium? Mm. Even that's not a surefire thing, right? Like, that's not a surefire way to say, hey, like, I mean, it's a, it's a it could help and it shows due diligence and whatever, but it doesn't mean you're going to stop this, the, you know, a, a new wave of the, of, of the virus going around the people, right? So... To me, those kind of conversations, uh, we need to probably put all these things on hold until, like, we can actually say people will be safe.
1: I mean, absolutely. And, I mean, we all would love football back. I mean, we're talking about MLS, but, I mean, if we look at Canada, this weekend, it should have been the the start of the second CPL season. It should have kicked off with a a couple of games. And, I mean, obviously, that, that didn't happen. And I talked about Quebec there. So they've said no festivals or sporting events till at least 1st of September. They've been the worst hit province. Ontario is not too far behind. I would not be surprised to see them following suit because they've been very proactive and stuff. So that would mean Montreal and TFC wouldn't be able to to, to host games there. The, the CPL season, obviously there's no teams in Quebec, but there are three in Ontario. So any Ontario restrictions would impact those clubs putting that season in in jeopardy. And I know football right now isn't the most important thing, but as I say every week, we're a football show, so we're here to to talk about football and the impact of of this on the game. The Canadian Championship could obviously be hit. And Dwayne Rollins, who I know is not everyone's most favourite person to read, he tweeted out this week that he had heard that the The spot in next year's CONCACAF Champions League might get awarded to the highest-placed MLS side, or if there is no MLS season, Montreal would just carry on into next season, which, for me, makes sense. I, I don't think you can have a Canadian championship if every team that was meant to be in it can't take part in it. And right now, we seem so far away from anything like that happening that maybe it is better just to to call things off and just say, look, next year, Montreal, they didn't get to take part this year, they'll take part next year.
2: I'm sure they'd find a way for, you know, to put Toronto in there instead of Montreal, but that, <laughs> doesn't, that doesn't sound unreasonable to me in terms of just saying, okay, it's carries over, relax, uh, and it moves forward.
1: I mean, what what's, what's your gut feeling? Do, do you think there'll be some kind of CPL season or games this year?
2: No I, no I don't I don't think I mean this, That announcement You mentioned about uh, from Coming out of Quebec I know there's no teams Currently in Quebec But uh, I don't, yeah, Like you said I don't think Ontario is That far off uh, Making that kind of You know Announcement uh, So no I don't I, I cannot see this, I, I don't see the CPL having a season
1: It's not all bad news though Because The International Champions Cup Has been cancelled So no more Meaningless friendlies This summer <laughs> I know some folk look forward to that, but, I mean, that's the last thing you need do at this time. It's just stupid friendlies with folk flying all over the world. So, that, that's that gone. I imagine the Leagues Cup will be next to fall as well. But, I mean, my gut feeling is that there's not going to be an MLS season either. Unless things oh. dramatically clear up by November and they can have some kind of just straight knockout cup.
2: Yeah, I mean, if somehow things were out clear by, by September, October, then, yeah, just do... Just, wouldn't it be? I mean, it would be great if MLS just did uh an MLS Cup that was an open cup. Oh yeah. So you, so you have to use some some jigging around to make sure you can get the numbers right. So maybe like to get it so you can get down to around 16 and then a quarterfinal and whatever. But like if they just did that, I think that could be that would that would be fine. But uh, they won't want to obviously uh, do only that. But again, I don't see it how I don't see uh, maybe I'm just being pessimistic or you know, erring on the side of caution, but I don't see any I don't see any football happening in North America until next February, March of the year.
1: No, I don't think it's being pessimistic. I think it's being realistic, and uh, people need to start talking more real about this because it's not even a, a case like closed door games are not ideal for a number of reasons, as as you said in Europe. Here, though. I I can't see what the appetite would be for players to take part in closed-doors games. If they, So there's been lots of things put out there and Sports Illustrated had talked a little bit this week about all the different plans. It's like, oh, players in different leagues could be on a cruise ship or they could be in Vegas or they could like, be in a biodome and all this kind of stuff. I don't think that the appetite is they going to be there from players either to be centralised somewhere, be away from their families, be locked down to hotels. They don't make big money, most of them, over here. What What is their incentive to, to agree to something like that? There's no way, if I was a player, that I would be like, yeah, I'll go to Las Vegas for four months and not see my family.
2: No, but that. I think that it worked the opposite way, Michael. Because there are players who are not on so much money, they might be in a place where they need to make money.
3: You know what I
2: mean? Mm. They're like they might need the paycheck. Those, those players who don't, don't you know, are not you know, haven't made millions in their in their you know a previous career in a different co- country. You know they might they might MLS uh, say, hey, the scene's happening. This is what's happening. You need to be there. And they might say, I don't have a choice because either I haven't been paid or I don't know what's happening. You know, or you know it might be a contractual thing where MLS is a part of their you know, how they've been covered, you know, health care and insurance and all that kind of stuff. So I think those those lower – it's the same thing with this, this – we talked in the past about the whole CBA negotiations where it was always the – it wasn't necessarily the big earners uh, who held them back from striking. It was those players who had no money, who were making no money, who made up a significant amount of the player pool that would prevent them from, you know, from striking. Uh, that in this case, I could see them saying, "Hey, we need that paycheck, or we need to make the money, or we need to do this so that we can continue to play in the league the next year, or whatever, approve ourselves for the next year." Um, mm. That would be like okay with that. I could see the, I could see the those who, <clears throat> you know, the Carlos Velas of the league or whatever, being like, uh, "Yeah, I really don't want to do this." But, you know, I'm not saying you wouldn't do it, but yeah, you know, I mean, like uh, that kind of player more being like, "Yeah, I don't really want to." Go
1: and yeah, hang out for a biodome. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, you could be you could be spot on. And it's, I mean, if there's any football this year, I think it would be closed doors because for a number of reasons you can't have fans there, and it's not even just the logistics of it. I think there's a nervousness amongst fans, and the New York Post had an article this week where they had a poll. And 72% said that they would not feel safe to attend games until a vaccine for the coronavirus is developed. 12% would attend games if the stadiums were open, but only if social distancing were in place. And only 13% said that they would feel safe. And that was from 762 respondents. So that was all American people. So I thought I'd throw out on our Twitter and I needed to promote this more, uh, I, can, I totally forgot on Saturday, but we got 232 votes. Um, the four options I put out there, it was basically asking, what would make you feel safe returning to a stadium? So option one was, well, I, I'll give the results actually, first of all. So 64.2% said they would not feel safe returning to a stadium until there was a vaccine. 22.4% said that they would return as soon as the stadiums were open, deeming it that if the stadiums are open and the health risk has obviously been classed, that there's not one, so it's okay to go. 10.8% said only if there was social distancing, which is nearly impossible in a, in a football stadium in general. BC plays not so much, at least, because you've got upper and lower bowl. Maybe this is our way to get the upper bowl opened. Um two point six percent said other and they explained why and we'll we'll come to those tweets in a sec, but it's mostly around them already having had it and not being able to get it again, which no one really knows if that is the case, or like general herd immunity.
2: One guy who already got it got it again in I wanna say China or Asia?
1: It was China or Korea or both that there there seemed to be a case, but then not much more came out about that. So the thing is, no one knows. We we don't know about this virus and we're not going to know if people are going to get hit probably until next year to see, oh, there's a second wave, oh, they've got it again, or oh, no, yeah, they, they, they are immune to it. And there's all this talk that they want to test people to see, to find out if they've even had it and just not shown symptoms. Because, I mean, I, I had a, a cough I could not shake from when I came back from Scotland till finally now it seems to have cleared up and a lot of it seemed to be tied into allergies my doctor said I got a nasal spray, but I mean who knows maybe I did have it and you just don't know until until you can get tested so I mean oh this is so far away but doctor
2: didn't test you?
1: no because I I wasn't showing a fever or any of the other symptoms so he was pretty confident I didn't have it by the point that I saw him but he couldn't rule out that I had maybe had it initially it's tough to say. I mean, what would make you feel safe to to go back to to a stadium to to watch a game?
2: I I would probably fall in that sixty four point two percent in terms of, of you know, wanting there to be a vaccine first.
1: Yeah, I think I would as well. I I and it's not even just being in the stadium. It's like traveling to the stadium, like walking to the stadium. If you're going to eat or drink something beforehand, being in that kind of social environment. There's all the other risks that's associated with it.
2: Yeah, and it's not even it's not even my own personal risk. It's more about, I'm worried in all of this. I'm, it's more about my wife. Who has oh, husband. yeah. Like, that's more what I care about. Yeah. In terms of not wanting to try and do something at well. like, Even when I go to the grocery store or whatever, like, I'm a little bit, I'm always a little bit, uh, I'm praying a lot about those kind of things these days. <laughs>
1: Oh, I mean, it's understandable, and like I, I've had a couple of bad grocery experiences over the last couple of weeks, where people—it's oh, yeah. it, impossible to keep socially distanced with what you need to do in narrow supermarket aisles. It's yeah. just—it's impossible. So did you have that? Did you have
2: that kid who played cough
1: yeah. on you? Yeah, I, <laughs> I could have smacked that little brat, but I didn't. But. <laughs> But yeah, that was a bad experience as well. But I mean, last Monday, I, I, this is what I said I was going to do to start with, and then I didn't live up to this until this past week. I'm just going to small local businesses. I went to a, a local green grocers, I went to Cobb's Bread. It's like that. That's what that's what I did uh, on Monday, and it, I came home relaxed. And I drove by a couple of Safeways where there was a massive lineups outside that you're going to be lining up for possibly even an hour to get in. So it's like, shop local, support local business. That's what I'm trying to do. So as I said, we, we put that poll out on Twitter, and we've got some good replies to it as well. So I'll read you some of those just now. Tim Altman said, he wouldn't go until there are no more infections or there was a vaccine. Andy M at Swampo said, it depends. But these are the times that make you see the value of lower division sport. Certainly does little fans in attendance. You can kind of have your social distancing in stadiums. East Fife have been practising social distancing for a number of years now. Might be also good for the VMSL if it gets up and running. You can get out there, enjoy some football and keep well away from other people. Unless too many people decide to go and start watching the VMSL. Scott Baxter at Left Coast Scott said that for him it's a vaccine or that he gets it and develops immunity the hard way. Realistically, for society, full stadiums aren't coming back until there's a vaccine. Bruce Tatry echoed that, saying, Vaccine or herd immunity, neither of which is going to happen for a long time. Oz Sweeney said, As bad as fans and everyone involved want sports back, I don't think it's responsible for anything short of a vaccine. And hopefully, as we've taken to support local business, we do the same for local sports and help them out as well. We'll see... At CAST W123 said, Tough question. How do you trust so many people after what we're going through? If the leagues start, it should probably be behind closed doors for now. I'll probably wait at least a few games. JJ Adams from the province said, Vaccine and widespread, quick, accurate testing. No way to open it up otherwise. There will always be a segment of the population that won't or can't get immunised or it's ineffective. See the measles outbreak in SoCal. Testing provides a mean to identify and isolate. Rod Hodkinson completely agreed with that, adding no other way forward is acceptable. Mike Mead said, Over some time, to allow for a more controlled spread or recovery rate of the virus. Or, of course, after a vaccine. He supports the Olympic Village made for TV stroke no spectator style proposal that is circulating though, and Surrey Jack said fair play to Bobby Leonarduzzi who has worked tirelessly to encourage social distancing at caps games for more than a decade, truly ahead of his time. Harsh, Surrey Jack, harsh. So some interesting stuff there from our our listeners and readers, and I mean if these results were played out, then it's going to push sports teams and leagues to the edge because I don't think that people are going to want to go back for a while. And we've talked about it over the course of the show. Is there an appetite for closed doors games? Some leagues are going to want to come back with closed doors. I've been watching the wrestling with no fans, and WWE's version is not great. AEW's version has been entertaining because they've had some wrestlers, some local wrestlers, socially distanced around the ringside, just to create a little bit of atmosphere. Now, obviously, as media, if the stadiums were open, they would probably let media in, and I I could go along to the games. I don't know how safe I would feel even doing that. I mean, the player interaction would be completely different. You'd have to be far away from, from players and stuff. It's going to be interesting to see how this resolves itself, and just really what state teams, leagues, sports are at the end of it.
2: I mean, this is going to have ongoing, lasting impact on society, even once there is a vaccine, in terms of, oh, was it the Dr. Fauci or whatever in the, in, in the States said, yeah, you know, even when this is done, we should never shake, ever, ever shake hands ever again. Mm. It kind of, you
1: know, is. Well, I mean, that you, you and Steve, you go to the cinema a lot. How comfortable would you be going to a cinema? Is it the same thing as a football thing, only if there was a vaccine, would you feel comfortable going again?
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the the movie people now, they're releasing all their movies, like, you know, on websites
1: yeah.
3: and
2: stuff, right?
1: I've seen that. Um,
2: we, we watched the movie later night with our family through the Cineplex store for the first time. So, I mean, obviously, it's not the same quality, although we you know, we just moved in one of the things we got we moved with the new TV and a bit of a new sound system. so so a lot nicer than it was before. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's not the same, right? It like those movies are made for those theatres or those setups. And,
1: yeah, and it's uh, the together. sound and, yeah. <laughs> Although...
2: Uh, but I probably, you know, you're right, I probably wouldn't go to a theater where um, I knew, like, someone could be coughing on me from Nairobi yeah. Island or whatever.
1: Because you're, you're in an enclosed space in particular. I, I mean, for someone like me, I, I've i hated going to the cinema the last couple of years just because I don't like being around people that are eating or they're on their phones and I'm going to lose it with them. So I, I, I'm fine if we end up just watching movies at home. But the last thing in this section that I'll just talk about, Sports Illustrated, I touched on the article that they had this week, and it was entitled Bursting the Bubble, Why Sports Aren't Coming Back Anytime Soon. And in summary... Scientific experts say that until there's a vaccine, which we're looking 12 to 18 months away at best, or mass immunity, people cannot flock into stadiums and it goes into all the practicalities of having closed doors and centralized scenarios and why that is also simply flawed and almost unworkable. So, I mean, check that out on SI.com. And I mean, it's sad to say that sports is going to be devastated for a while. It's not the most important thing in the world right now. But to us, it means so much to us. And yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting few months. And yeah, the the world has changed and we just have to make the, the best of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I
2: haven't read the article. I should probably read it. But yeah, yeah, it makes sense.
1: The premise makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to be too Debbie Downers about this. But I mean, it does look like there isn't going to be much football to, to watch on these shores for maybe the rest of this year. Clubs are keeping busy though, there's a lot of Zoom chats taking place, a lot of different conference calls and video conferences, so I'm trying to jump on as many of those as I can over the week to, to try and bring you stuff for this show and also the AFTN Extra podcasts. The Whitecaps held one this week with Max Crupol and Russell Tibert. and I, I decided to lighten the mood on that a little bit, but by asking the guys a question which we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the show that I'd thrown out on Twitter to the supporters... Which Whitecaps player would you want to be quarantined with just now? And which one would you most definitely not want to be? Here's what Max and Russell had to say. If you were to be quarantined with another member of the squad, who would you choose to be quarantined with and why? And which player would you definitely not want to be quarantined with? Oh... Uh,
3: I would, um, I would say, I
2: well, you can quarantine with some people, and there's others you want to kill after three or four days,
1: and you know why exactly, you know.
2: So I know I can live with Russ because he's my roommate uh, on the road and stuff. Yeah, we can live here, yeah, no problem. Uh, we,
3: I can live with Kava uh, by personal experience. I
2: can, I can do it with Jake as well, uh, Nowinski. And D-Rose, Ken uh, Not, Yasser, I've been wanting a road trip with him, didn't happen, didn't put it off, and
3: I would say Yordi maybe, because he's too much on, on PlayStation
2: and phone and stuff, and uh, sometimes I like to have a good conversation, and just uh, checked out of, of, uh, of internet and stuff like that.
0: Who I would and who I wouldn't want to live with in quarantine? Um, Ali Adnan both <clears throat> <laughs> True <laughs> Teamates, teammates, we.
1: Max and Rusty there sharing their thoughts on which Whitecaps teammates they would and would not want to be quarantined with Really wish Russell had expanded a little bit there on why not Ali Adnan and why Ali Adnan I think I'll keep that section going and ask some of the other players that are on the Zoom conference calls in the coming weeks what their thoughts on it are. But that is it for now about football shutdown around the world of football. We're going to be back talking CPL and an interview with former Whitecaps player and current Cavalry FC goalkeeper Marco Carducci. And we'll also bring you this week's Wavelength. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm to St. Ricketts and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was the Young Fathers with a song called Toy from their third album Coco Sugar out in 2018. And a Hip Hop and Rap Band who if you've watched Trainspotting 2 you'll have heard quite a few of their songs that were, were featured in that movie. I've thought since I'm in charge of the music for the, the coming weeks and months with all the football shutdown... May as well get as many Scottish rap songs in there as possible. And a lot of the other music that I enjoy as well. So hopefully you enjoyed that one. It's not all just Madhat Magore shouting the sea word as part of the Edinburgh rap scene. There's some really varied stuff across the, the whole Scottish hip-hop and rap scene right now. And we'll, we'll bring you some more songs from not just Edinburgh, but across all of Scotland in the coming weeks and months for you to enjoy. Whether you want it or not. Something else now for you to enjoy, whether you want it or not, It's this week's Wavelength. We're going back to 1987 for this week's song, and a legend in music is providing it. There's been a, a lot of chatter about the Who over the, the past few weeks and months. Not a day goes by without someone talking about the Who this, the Who that. But you never ever get to hear from Roger Daltrey or Pete Townsend, and I think we should remedy that. And we're going to remedy that tonight by bringing you a song from Pete Townsend, from his album Another Scoop, and this is a a very unusual song. We've brought you some weird and wonderful stuff in, in Wavelength over the the past couple of years, and this is right up there with it. It's kind of imagining if football and classical music performances were overlapping. What if you got a football crowd into to see some classical music and orchestra recitals? What if you classed the the band members as being like members of a football team and you were chanting support and abuse towards them like you would do at a football match? Well, that's exactly what Pete Townsend imagined in his song Football Fig You, and let's hear it now.
0: I was listening to a guitar, bass, drum thing Started hearing Chess squeak. Thought I heard a gut string Then I saw a big band right on the pavement Violins and heavy boots Wondering where the wave went You, whoa, oh, I'm talking to you We're wearing the wrong colour scarf So what? Well, you're playing your tune Playing. Play a song on the wall, combo's pass me the ball. Don't let the violinist trouble your playing. Fierce looking people but their managers' game. Syncopation to the sound of the ball. Trouble with the rap out in the concert hall. Hey, you! Rock. That chalice was fouled back to I'm
1: 1987 album Another Scoop That was Football figure, You Something a little bit Different for you This week in wavelength Absolutely fantastic So really really Like that one Been waiting for a good Time to bring it to you Now seemed as good A time as any The Who haven't said When they think Football or any sports Should return In, in any of their Statements that they've Given so far I mean, it does seem a long way away, and as we mentioned in the last part, will there be an MLS season? Will there be a Canadian Premier League season? And of course, this weekend would have been the launch of the 2020 CPL season. Two games were scheduled to be played this weekend on Saturday, April 11th. We were going to have a rematch of last year's championship game, as the inaugural champs Forge FC were set to host Cavalry FC at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. That was going to be followed out here in BC with Pacific FC playing host to FC Edmonton. It would' have been two very entertaining games we've had to just make do instead with watching some reruns of historic moments from last year the the season opening game of York nine against Forge reruns off last year's two legged championship game as well. that was such a an eventful championship game, and looking back on it it's still Rankles me that you had Cavalry winning the, the spring and the fall championships but not being crowned champions, and it rules or rules, I know, I should get over it, I I, I just, I still can't. And obviously, it's a lot harder if you're a Cavalry FC fan or, or player or in the management team as well to kind of not have that nagging away at you the whole time. But all round, it was an absolutely fantastic season for Cavalry FC, they won both the spring and the fall regular season championships and knocked the Whitecaps out of the Voyagers Cup, the first CPL team to beat an MLS team in the Canadian Championship. A lot of players really stood out for Cavalry last year and one of them was good friend of the show, goalkeeper Marco Carducci. It's still hard for me to realise that, that Marco's 23 now. I've just watched him play in his football for so many years. I mean, we first saw him... Play out here in Vancouver with a residency in the under-16s as a 15-year-old. And we've watched his career grow, we've followed him, we've had him on the show several times. It's always great to to catch up with him. Left the Whitecaps organisation at the end of the 2016 season. Had a season in the USL with Rio Grande Valley Toros in 2017 before joining Calgary Foothills. Then going on to join the CPL with Cavalry FC. And it's disappointing as, as the season ended for Cavalry. It was a great personal year for Marco Golden Gloves winner, the first ever one in CPL, got called up for the first time to the Canadian Men's Senior Team for a, a training camp and you have to think there would have been more coming as well if the Friendlies had gone ahead in Victoria last month. But we always enjoy catching up with Marco so let's do that now. But it's very cold out here in the snow marching from
0: the end of oh tough
1: I have had enough So thanks for for joining us on the show to, tonight Marco and first thing to, to really ask you is how's things for for you out in Calgary just now keeping safe and healthy I hope
2: Yes yeah no thank you first of all for, for having me it's, it's fantastic to be able to catch up a bit and uh, no, things are well. Uh, obviously, amongst everything, it's been uh, challenging and, and different, but safe and healthy, and that's the most important thing right
1: now. So, I mean, we've been speaking a lot to Whitecaps players and listening to some of the, the stuff around MLS and stuff about how different teams are, are coping with, with this just now and what they're doing to keep the players fit and keep them engaged. Can, can you maybe give us a little bit of an insight into to what Cavalry are doing with you guys first of all really in terms of like keeping fit
2: uh yeah i think it's, it's been clear to see that a lot of the team's a lot of players are doing as much as they can from home so we're we're no different we're uh you know we're on our our group uh, video video calls and, and team group chats um with our workout programs and obviously it's a little bit different than than what a normal day of training would look like um all things considered though it's it's been pretty good we you know in my in my two bedroom apartment not quite a gym so I make do with the space I have and the equipment I have but um, yeah no that's what that's what we've been doing as a team we've just uh, had our weekly workouts and and, um, kind of the schedule we're just trying to to obviously stay fit stay ready for for when things do get back to normal and you know what so far so
1: good again making do with with what the situation is really I mean, yeah, you mentioned uh, having a two-bedroom apartment there. If, like this, White Cups players, if they're listening to this, will be like a two-bedroom apartment. It's like that's one yeah. of the one of the perks of not living in Vancouver, I guess, anymore.
2: That is true. That is true. I, I'm not sure. No, uh, I don't even want to think of what the uh, the comparison would be like uh, <laughs> between between whether this place was in Calgary or in Vancouver. But uh, yeah, I guess I just, just making make do with the space we have, and it's been it's been good though because. Um, the accountability and the culture we have on the team is, is is already set in motion and you know as much as it's not easy the guys are, have all bought in and we're, we're doing what we can to, to stay hard, ready
1: now we've talked a little bit on tonight's show already about like players mental health and it's it's something a lot of the teams are are taking very seriously just now and it's it's obviously tough because football as a sport whether you're a supporter or whether you're a player it's a it's a team game it's a social sport you're used to being surrounded by your teammates i know lots of clubs is like group chats and everything like that but i mean especially for some of the new guys to the team guys that are kind of still getting used to their teammates getting used to being in a in a new city What have the the more senior guys been doing to kind of make sure that everyone is is coping well mentally with this?
2: Yeah, like you said, obviously, it makes you remember and realise kind of how how fortunate we are to be able to do what we do and and cherish those moments that, you know, week in, week out, every day you're seeing each other in the training ground, and when that kind of comes to a halt, it's uh, it's different and it's challenging. And, you know, fortunately, again, i mentioned the culture we have in this team and and we've you know, kept a lot of, a lot of the guys in the core group from last year that, uh, we've already had that established. So a lot of the guys, um, pretty much the whole group, like I said, you know, we have, we have our, our, our meetings and our workouts that we're, that we're doing virtually now, but we have our group chats and it's just a matter of, of the communication and staying in touch. And, you know, I've, I've seen firsthand that, yeah, it, it does get difficult. Um, and it is, it is definitely a big shift, but we're doing all we can to, to just, you know remain as close as we can even though we're physically separated and that just comes down to, to staying in touch and, and connecting and uh trying to keep that um you know the camaraderie that we that we have every day and we're just like, again now we're, we're doing it you know over over facetime or you know chat
1: and i mean who would you say like on the group chats and stuff who's the who's the joker on the team who's the guy that's kind of keeping all your spirits up
2: that's that's something that's something we're blessed with in this team we have uh we have a lot of fantastic characters in the locker room and um you know in terms of a leadership role we have someone like uh, nick Ledgerwood, who wears both of those hats i'd say He's, he's definitely a big leader in the group and obviously he's got a vast experience in the game and um you know on and off the pitch he's a massive leader but at the same time he's a at a time like this, it, it does help when, uh, if it's not, again, if it's not the normal way like we would in, in a training session or at the facility, now it's bringing a joke still in the group chats or however that might be, But like, you know, I could, I could lift off like five or six more guys. I think I think the, the key takeaway is that we're really blessed to have, have a fantastic locker room and I think, um, you know, we're all itching to get back together. So, yeah.
1: Now, I, I asked Max Gruppo and, and Russell Tybert this Earlier this week And It's like If you could be quarantined With just one other Player In the Cavalry locker room Who would you pick And who would you definitely Not want to be quarantined with <laughs> That's
2: uh That one puts me on the spot Who would I pick Again You know Maybe, maybe I could choose a couple That's um, fine <laughs> Maybe right, right now I'd say uh, Let's say Elijah Out of Kubi Because first of all We go way back Yeah uh, Yeah. So it would be helpful to, to be able to at least stay close together and be able to work uh, work in person but again you know we are uh, we're super close and we've played together since we were 10 years old uh, who would I not want to be around um, that's uh, that's an interesting one uh,
1: you, you don't have to pick any someone <laughs>
2: no. don't If you gave me a bit more time and if I was a little bit more edgy, I'd definitely
1: I'd definitely give you a name, but I'll defer for now. <laughs> That's fair enough. So let's have a, a little look back at, at last season now for the for the next little bit of this segment. And I mean first first year of CPL, a fantastic time in the league. I mean I was super impressed, I've said this several times now, folk will probably be fair up with me saying this, but the league it surpassed what I was expecting from it. I didn't think the quality was going to be so good. I didn't think that the football would be so good. I, I know yourselves and Forge kind of ran away with things to an extent, but overall, I mean, I, I felt it was a, a really great first season for it. L- like looking at the league as a whole, were you surprised at the quality or was it what you were expecting? Well, no, I, th-
2: I think the the opinion you have is something I've said so many times. And, and you know, to give you an honest answer, like going into the season, I, I didn't know what to expect either. Uh, it wasn't that I expected less or more, but I definitely would agree that, yeah, of course, like you said, Forge and ourselves definitely um, kind of separated ourselves from the pack. But every game, for the most part, was, there was quality throughout the league. And I think, you know, again, we, we had subtle differences that, that made an impact. But all throughout, there was just fantastic competition. Uh players and teams playing at an incredibly high level and, and for me personally that was just uh it was just fantastic to see. Like I said, I don't know if I if I went in and, and realized, oh, this is much more than I thought. I, I really was optimistic and I did have high hopes. So I wasn't shocked by any means. But um it was just it was just awesome to see and I think it was it was very much um kind of solidified the the talent, the quality that this country has and and it also kind of went to like, Really shown why this league is so important, and uh, it was just cool to
1: be a part of that. I mean, cavalry as well. They, for me, they were the the class team of the league in in 2019. You won the spring season, you won the fall season. I know ultimately you you came up short in the in the championship game, but I mean, did 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 it feel a little bit like an anticlimax? I know you you want to look back at what you did achieve and it's the positives, but I'm old-fashioned. I can't see how a team can win, and you might have to give a political answer here, but I can't see how a team can win the spring season, the fall season, and then walk away not champions. It's like an alien concept to me. I mean, did it feel a little bit of an anticlimax in the end? It was was a
2: tough one, obviously. It's tough to swallow. I think, like you said, uh, the football person, he also looks at that and... and, um you know, we know throughout the entire season what we did and, and, and winning the league overall in terms of the standings was a fantastic achievement. And like you mentioned, pretty much anywhere else in the world other than in North America that, that um, makes me the champion. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. We, we knew that it would come down to the two-legged final. And as much as you want to look back at the 28 games where we dominated uh, from the beginning of May to the end of October... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was about winning, winning on aggregate over those two legs. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for us. Uh, I think, you know, we can look back and be very proud of the season we had and, and the, the standards we set. Um, so, yeah, of course, of course, it, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth because you, you want to have that trophy and, and you want to be the one who's, uh, you know, getting named, gets inscribed on it. But uh, at the end of the day, that's the way it is. I and mean, whether that changes this season... Uh, or the next or however that may look at the end of the day it is what it is and I know it's um, the same in, in the MLS like, you can make an argument about yeah. LAFC being the class of the league last year and they crashed out of the playoffs and the champions are the champions and, and uh, you're not going to change that so uh, we can look back and I think we, we all have we've looked and we've reflect, reflected and we knew the success we had and we knew what we did and we won't take anything away from that but at the end of the day it, being a champion this week was about winning those those two
3: games
2: and unfortunately it didn't happen. This 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 coming season, whenever that might happen, whatever it might look like, uh, we'll, we'll do our best to make
1: sure it does happen. I mean, obviously, rules are rules and I know you guys, and I, I know Tommy, I know what Tommy's like, he's going to have done a, a big post-mortem as to why you did fall short in the championship game. I, I spoke to Jeff Paulus a couple of weeks ago and he put forward an interesting theory which I'd never really thought of which was like Forge knew that they were in the championship game with a few weeks to go whereas Tommy's a winner he wanted the spring and the fall title whereas Forge maybe got to rest some guys and you guys were going flat out to make sure that that you won both championships do you think that played a part in it or was it just on the day Forge were the better team over the two games
2: um an, an interesting idea for sure. I, I, I do remember we we went into the last game of the season with 100 uh, percent intent that we wanted to be fall champions. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's the reason why why we lost. I think at the end of the day, it did come down to those two games. And you know, I will say too, you have to you have to give uh, Forge the credit that they deserve. They yeah. they obviously yeah. kept the pace with us for the most part in the league, and and we did trade. Throughout the season, results both ways, and, and a, a good side, of course. So, when it came down to it, I think really anything can happen over over two legs, and you know that might be one of the frustrating things you look back on is that it's a two-legged final as well, which which maybe you don't see as often anymore, and yeah. that obviously changes the complexion uh, of the second leg for us. But um, no, I, I specifically remember that we went into the finals, or we went into the last couple weeks of the season. Knowing that, yeah, we, we wanted to be fall champions and, and do what we were aiming for was the trouble, and it didn't happen. And, you know, whatever the reason might be, uh, you know, we obviously look back, and we're sure our coaching staff have looked back, but at the end of the day, it can't be changed at this point. So it's a matter of just uh, preparing even better for next season, and, and like I said, trying, trying to go
1: that one more step. i we're talking about two legged games, of course. Cavalry made history in being the first CPL team to knock out uh, an MLS side and spoke to you after that game at a BC place. I was fortunate to be at both legs and like you guys were the the better team by far over the two legs. You should have gone into that second leg with the lead because you were dominant at at times at Spruce Meadows in that first leg. I mean, I know that's just like a one-off game and you did win two championships over the course of the season, but... Was that the highlight of the season for you, with it being your former team? Or do you, look, do you take more pride in winning the spring and the, and the fall?
2: Yeah, definitely up there. Um, I think it's hard to, uh, hard to really narrow it, narrow it down to one because you know our success throughout the, the season in the CPL was, was incredible, I think. If we look at, at the standard we set, the record we posted, it might be, it might be very difficult to beat for maybe a long time. So there were a lot of a lot of highlights for sure. I think I think what we did maybe in terms of kind of the gravity of the situation and how we really helped put the league on the map even more than it already had based on based on the level we were setting and, and the noise the league was making. I think doing what we did and beating the light caps, you know, personally, obviously that was a little extra sweet and, and yeah. I'm not the only player on the team who has connections with that oh, yeah. club you know, it doesn't matter whether that was Toronto or you know, Montreal beating an MLS club was, was kind of that statement and victory and, you know, I think you can look at that and, and, you know, maybe we do say that that was one of the, one of the best moments. Um, again, because I think when you when you look at it, even to this day, sometimes I kind of forget that that definitely was, um, was a history maker and it, it was just uh, obviously a, a fantastic experience and cool to do it, but it was cool to know that, um, you know, we were setting the standard for the CPL and
1: proving and showing to everyone that the quality is here. I mean, absolutely. It's. I'd, I mean, the other games as well. The Montreal came up; they got a bit of a shock, and like, I mean, it could could have been more more than cavalry. But I mean, I, I think it did make some people that maybe weren't taking the league seriously sit up and go, "You know what? There's not that big a difference between the between the the two leagues."
2: I agree. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we did. We, we set that standard. Showed as you talk about our Montreal game, I think you to look back even further, it was York 9 who played Montreal yeah. in their quarterfinal. And barring a couple, uh, I can't remember exactly what happened, but you, a couple mistakes or a couple little errors that I think don't happen frequently, it's still a one-goal game. And who knows, that, that could have obviously changed the, the outcome of that tie as well. Uh, you talk about our games against Montreal I think you know it was a one goal game coming into the second leg and same thing it, it obviously finished one nil for them here at this medals well as well but throughout that game little moments could have changed and by no means were we were we uh, miles apart in terms of the level and I think again I think when you look at it in the big picture and, and how we kind of helped set that tone and set that standard and really made everyone look up and, and say, wow okay you know you're right like these guys, you can play and, and the level's not far off I think that's that's a pretty big defining moment and you know just in terms of every team in the PPL but also football in Canada in general I think that made a big difference so like I said it was, it was just uh, cool to look back on it
1: as well now and, and kind of realise that Well aside from the, the team stuff it was also a great personal year for, for yourself Marco I'll talk about that what hopefully is going to be the season ahead and your new business that you've launched with Elijah Adekugbe and Carlos Patino, And we'll be back with that after this.
2: Hi, I'm Jeff Paulus, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Wash our
0: hands. Off to our elbows. These are the things, the things we know. We know. If people want to wear a mask... That is okay,
1: these are the things, the things, we know, that prevents you from speaking moistly, speaking
0: moistly, keep two meters apart, speaking moistly, speaking moistly,
1: keep two meters apart, speaking moistly. moistly. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show That was the the song that has been a massive hit On YouTube this week Speaking Moistly Put up by Anonymotif, So no one actually knows who is behind it But a fantastic reworking of Justin Trudeau's Moist Moment It's Moist Maker At one of his press conferences this week It's just such a catchy song It's like almost impossible to get that out of your head Once you hear it So Apologies for that. And let's just move swiftly on. So let's get back to our chat with Marco Carducci now. And as I, I mentioned there just before the break, Marco, it, it was a fantastic year personally for, for you as well in, in the CPL in 2019, in the league last year. I mean, you were named the, the Golden Glove. You had nine clean sheets. You joint led the league with that. I was surprised as well that you were like third in saves at 65 because it didn't, it didn't feel that Cavalry were sort of under the cautious as much in, in games that you'd have to be producing 65 saves really but I mean defensively that seemed to definitely feel like the the, the key to Cavalry's success but to be named the the Goalkeeper of the Year it did I mean that was something special the first ever won in CPL
2: of course yeah no um, definitely it's a huge honour to, to receive that award and yeah I think I think we took pride in that, and, and that was something that was carried through from our PDL season in, in Foothills with with Tommy. I knew that standard that we wanted to set uh, in terms of being a team that was just difficult to break down. Obviously, as a goalkeeper, and I think as as defenders as well, like you take pride in that. Saving saving goals is the same feeling as scoring goals for us, right? And, um, I think that was just resonated throughout the entire team. For me to to end up winning the Golden Gloves. Uh, you know, this obviously is maybe the cliche answer as well, but it's true. It, it doesn't happen with one person. As a collective, as a team, whatever the back four, or back three, whatever we did, whatever we played in front of me, we we just had a desire to not be beat, uh, and that just shone through. I, you know, I think looking back at uh, early in the season, there were a lot of one-goal games for us, even throughout the whole year, and, and that was the difference. That I think we we were just hard to beat, hard to break down, and. We took pride in that and, and then it reflected in, you know, our goals against and whatnot. whatnot. But again, it, do, it doesn't happen without the entire team. So I just, I just love playing for a team that, that is, uh, has that mentality that you
1: just don't want to come Yeah, and you touched on the, the foothills aspect of everything there. I mean, how much of an advantage was that to you guys, especially in the spring season? You Playing together a few of you for a couple of years, some just for the year, but... You you knew each of these games inside out. You obviously knew a lot of the guys previously with Whitecaps connections. I mean, did that give you a a big advantage you feel in the in the spring season?
2: I think it gave us an advantage for sure, but but by no means was it uh like a huge defining factor. I think if you look at teams across the league th that's similar um, you know, they may not have been exactly like what we had where a few of us had played together the season before and made the, the step up to the CPL. I think other teams had that as well. Uh, and, and obviously, again, maybe us more. Uh, it did give us that help, but you know, we all we, we still brought in half the roster. And, and I think just what, what made the difference was, was the culture and the co- cohesion we had. The ones who did come in and, and everyone else that came from abroad, whatever, we had the same preseason as everybody else and I think it was just a matter of that culture and that identity that we we established. Everyone bought into it right away and then that made the difference. But, um, you know, I, I think, uh, just to bring up a quick point, is I remember at the beginning of preseason, I think a lot of people didn't know whether that Foothills connection, if you want to call it that, um, was going to be a positive or a negative. Mm. I think a lot of people said, oh, are, are, can all these players make the jump to the pro ranks? And, Mm. of course we proved that we did and then everyone tells the story that oh well of course it was going to happen but I think you know, <laughs> if, it, if it went the other way and we didn't have such a successful start to the year or a successful season at all then the narrative would have been well yeah I, we all saw that coming so I think it's just kind of funny that um, you know, it, it was a bit of a talking point early like I said you know you a short answer I think it did help us but what mattered most was just the culture that we have
1: established within this team and, and within the club in general and of course the the big personal achievement for you aside from club football is you earned your first call up to the Canadian senior men's national team and if it hadn't been for everything just now I'm pretty sure you would have been part of the mix for these games in in Victoria as well I mean you've played for Canada before at under 23 under 20 17 youth level what did it mean for you personally after the journey that you've been through the last couple of years to get that call up? And when when did you find out that you were actually going to get the call up?
2: I, for, yeah, it was it's hard to put the words, right? I mean, like you said, I've I've obviously made my way through the youth ranks, and and every single step along the way, it's a, it's a massive honor and a privilege to to represent your country. And you know, we we went to the World Cup with the seventeen, which which now is. Uh, seven years ago, and is crazy to think Oh, wow. About. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, like I said, you know, you get the chance to represent your country. It's, 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 it's really hard to describe, and when you get to do that at the senior level, it's amazing. And, and I think when you talk about, uh, when you ask about, you know, kind of the journey, and obviously the last couple of years, before this happened, there were certainly a lot of highs and lows along that road, and to, to have had it kind of culminate in, getting called up and then you know going to the recent january camp and and now i know that as long as i continue to to progress and develop i think i'll I'll be on the radar it's a it's a huge honor and of course i'm 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 proud of myself but i think it's just the first step for me and i knew that this this is always my goal uh to be in there um so i just hope it can continue to be that way but um yeah to go back to that actual moment i think um what ended up happening, if I remember correctly, was I, I, got, I got a text message or a WhatsApp message, and um, it was actually from Simon Eady, the, the goalkeeper coach for the national team. When you get a text message saying, "Hey, it's Simon Eady, the goalkeeper coach for the men's national team," your mind starts to race, right? So <laughs> I knew there, I knew there was a camp on the horizon, and kind of the, the way I am, I guess my 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 first instinct was not to get, you know, overly attached and not to start thinking too much. I, part of me was like maybe they're just going to let me know that we thought about bringing you and you know I, like I said I was just my mind was racing I was trying to think of all the different things eventually I think in just a couple hours later we got on a phone call and uh, I got the news so yeah it's, uh, it's a huge privilege and, and that was definitely a, an amazing
1: feeling when that happened. Yeah I mean I was personally delighted for you I've known you for for so many years and like you talk about that being seven years ago with the U17s when I was like doing a quick bit of research for this it's like I, I couldn't believe you're 23 I don't think of you as I don't never think a folk agent it's like I still think of watching you as like 15 and 16 year old and like the the journey that you've had to cavalry into this just now in, in particular I mean it's it's been a tough one but I mean I think it just shows if you put the perseverance in that sometimes you maybe have to take a little bit of a step back, which, and by that I mean, like going to like Rio Grande, to to then take the step forward, and it's maybe something, especially for goalkeepers, where only one goalkeeper can play. That is what some players maybe need to realise that they need to do.
2: Absolutely, and I think the only way you really know that or really begin to appreciate is when you do go through it. Because I was I was told that as well the whole way through, and, and when you are. Know, if we if we turn it back to the years when I was 17, 18, 19 in, in the first team and kind of waiting for the opportunity, like it's almost impossible to really understand how it is to to be just like what you said to, to have that perseverance to know that yeah you might need to take that step back or, or, or drop down a little bit and just keep your head down and keep climbing away and keep doing the work and doing your time and then things will happen if you continue to do the right things. And, um, that's what the last couple of years were for me, for sure. Like I said, I feel like I knew that that was a part of the process, but you can't really appreciate it. By no means have I that great. I've done what I need to do and I've made it. I want to continue to do the same thing. But this for me is is about continuing to develop and taking my career to the to the next level, and then when I get there to take it to the next level again. You know, whatever that takes me. At the end of the day, you know, we'll see if anyone's guessed, but. Yeah, I think I think I learned a lot and I grew a lot as, as not only a footballer but but also as a person throughout the time. And, and now I agree with you. I like, sometimes I look back and I say I'm 23 now, and I, I look at a 17, 18 year old and still think that I'm like around that age, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was like, <laughs> like six, seven years ago for me now. So uh, personally, I just I just want to be able to impart that on the next generation, and kind of whether that's just as an example or. Also being able to kind of tell them and walk through that. It's about really paying them forward, you know. So, yeah, it is crazy to think about all that, but you know, here we are. And like I said, now it's about
1: just continuing to do the work and, and going to the next step. Well, I mean, talking then about the doing things for the next generation. Like just now you you've set up a business. We touched on it a little bit earlier with Elijah Adi Cookbe and, and Carlos Petino, two, of your your teammates at Cavalry just now, guys that you've known for years, have been here with the white caps and stuff. And it's an online coaching service called control. You can find it at C O N T R L L dot com. Just let people know what it's about and especially at a time like this where folk aren't able to really go outside and, and get their coaching. I mean, you didn't launch it for this reason, but it now seems like an ideal business to to have at this time.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure, I definitely get to that. But um, no, like you, like you mentioned, I think um, you know Elijah and myself and Carlos, we go even further back than than our rent two days at Whitecaps. We we played Alberta soccer together, and um, you know those are two guys that I've been really close with over the years. And you know, we we basically just kind of came together and and. Put our minds together a lot. A lot of us throughout the CPL and I think throughout a lot of leagues, just to make some supplemental income and also just to continue to grow and show your passion for the game. A lot of guys do some extra coaching on the side. um, We ended up thinking about a way to to take advantage of, I guess, or or to change uh, kind of the model because at the end of the day, our professional careers came first in terms of our time commitment and. You kind of spend three hours in the pitch in the morning training and then three hours in the pitch in the evening coaching if you're thinking about being ready on a Saturday. Uh, for us, we, we eventually just put our heads together and, and brainstorm that idea of control. And yeah, we, we essentially uh, just wanted to provide a platform and a service for, for all players that just have the passion and the desire to, to, to improve their game. Uh, you Because know, I think mean, it's been really cool for the three of us uh, Take a step back, and, and we look at some of the kids that have stolen trips, and people we've connected with, and, and we just see ourselves in that generation. We were the we were we were the ones that, that would do extra work. Yeah, I I was blessed to have my dad, who uh, to this day, still acts like a bit of a coach for me. But you know, I was I was very fortunate to have him, uh, and we did so much extra work, and I, I think that's he was part of the reason why I've, I've I've gone to where I've gone to uh, But there's so many only kids out there, only young footballers that have that passion and that desire to, to just wanna continue to improve their game and refine their craft and we want to be given the tools and the resources to be able to do that anywhere. And uh, and that's that's essentially what, what control is. And then as you mentioned, obviously with the, the situation we our now, um, you know, of course I wish it wasn't the situation we were in, but, you know, now, yeah, we're in that boat. We we can't share with our teams and you're doing as much as you can individually, and uh, control is, is built uh, of you know hundreds of drills and programs that are designed for drills that players can do on their own at any time with pretty much limited equipment and space. And you know when this did happen, that was about a month after we had launched, and, and we realized, well, yeah, it really, really, really is all that you can do. So, so I guess the timing, you can sort of say that it it, it worked out because this is something that. Uh, no one has control over the situation, right? and we just hope that uh, what we've built can be a benefit. Not only now, uh, because we're in a situation we can't control, but also for the future, because you know, we obviously built it for, for normal time. But it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's just been awesome to know that we can just continue to do our part to, to uh, you know, share our love and the game and passion and help the next generation.
1: Everyone can check it out at control.com, C-O-N-T-R-L-L. There's three different levels that that you can subscribe to as well. And I mean, it seems ideal just now because nobody knows how long this is going to go on for. And I mean, obviously, I can't even ask you when you think it's going to be because nobody knows. It's such a fast changing time. It's so much uncertainty just now. The the players at Cavalry, I mean, how what's the mood like? D- do you still believe that you're gonna have some kind of season at least? I can only
2: speak for myself really because like you let you I you, think you're hearing different things every day Yeah the situation happens Between the years and, uh, you know, frankly I think I think it's just a matter of and I think it's something we're doing well with the team, so I'm hoping that uh, that guy's not the control, but it's just like I'm controlling the control I And mean, right now that means doing the work um, you know, on and off the pitch work whether that's you know, our physical uh, training but as well as you know, things for on and, and preparing for the season uh, basically and we've been doing that uh, collectively as a team uh, whatever the season might look like I think at the end of the day myself and, and the rest of the guys we just want to be prepared for when that happens and, and what it looks like and you no know, idea isn't really anyone's guess right now but I think the key thing is, is to you our part to help help this whole situation uh, pass sooner rather than later. And then, like I said, just being ready for for when the day comes and
1: we are ready to get back on. Well, hopefully it is sooner rather than later. Hopefully there is some kind of CPL this season. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. We'll catch up as well when the, the season gets underway and see how Cavalry's doing. But yeah, take care, stay safe and hope to speak to you soon. Thanks so much to Marco Carducci for joining us. Always a pleasure to catch up with him, and we hope to see him on the pitch soon. and we'll, we'll catch up with him once the, the season gets underway as well. Looking forward to seeing what him and Cavalry can do to build on those successes of 2019. Certainly a hard act to follow when you've had that much success in a season. When you've set some of the records that they've set. And uh, the bar is quite high for them to kind of follow that up on. But I've known Tommy Field now for a couple of years. As I I touched upon in the interview there, he's a winner. You know he's going to want to do better. You know he's going to want to win that championship this year. Let's just hope there is a season for him to do that in. But despite there being no football, it hasn't stopped some non-coronavirus related football news coming out this week some big news as well so we're going to be back with that the final part of our episodic serial that we've been bringing you on the show and your latest Slutsk update we'll be back with all of that after this Hi, I'm Derek Cornelius and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show. That was Kansas-Missouri band The Sluts, with a song called Fever from their 2019 mini-album Break Their Heart. Very much got a kind of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club feel to it, I thought. And of course we're bringing you that, because it's the time of the show to bring you your weekly sluts update, all the way from Belarus. Now, maybe you can call me a bit of a fair-weather fan, but I did not get up to watch the Slutsk game live at 4am on Saturday morning. I did seriously consider it. My wife thinks I am insane. But I didn't manage it. It was the first thing I checked over when I woke up. And it was another fine performance from Slutsk, coming away with a very hard-fought one 0 draw at home to Vitebsk. Went 1-0 down in the first half before fighting back, equalising two minutes after the hour mark. Another goal, 2-2 two two games from Suleimani Kowanda. A lot of sluts pressure to get the winner after that. Couldn't find it, had to settle just for the point. Dropped them down to third place in the table, but still in touch at the top. Seven points now from their four games. Their next match kicks off at the much better time of 9.30. Next Friday, 17th of April, They're away to Shakitor Soligorsk. Watch the AFTN social media. We'll try and put out the link to the feed for that. Come on, you sludskin blue. It's going to be their season. I can feel it in my bones. What a story that would be. Do you know what else is a great story? Our weekly episodic serial. It's tough for the son of a soccer star. From the 1959 Roy of the Rovers annual. And now it's time for its exciting conclusion. All of young Dick Denby's footballing dreams had come true, or so he thought. he signed a contract with local side Bracktown United, a club his dad had played for back in the day before having to mysteriously leave and quitting football and the game for good. Dick found out that his dad had left Bracktown because of thefts in the locker room that he had got the blame for. Had he been framed? Dick and his dad certainly thought so, but they were trying to find out why and by who. All fingers were pointing at former player and current assistant trainer Fred Bagley. Bagley had benefited when Dick's dad was fired taking his position on the team. But now, all these years later, more thefts were happening in the Bracktown locker room. Unsurprisingly, questions and fingers were being pointed towards Dick. Led, of course, by Fred Bagley. Dick was now determined to clear both his and his father's name, but he was running out of time to do so. Will he be able to do it? Will he establish himself as a Bracktown regular? And will Fred Bagley get his just desserts? Find out in this final part of AFTN's episodic drama, It's Tough for the Son of a Soccer Star, by Edwin Day. Part 5. The Clue on the Wall Dick scraped his boots loudly on the ground pushed open the dressing room door and walked in. A painful silence greeted him. No one spoke as he went through into the bathroom and when he returned he had the dressing room to himself. The others had all gone. It was worse the next morning. Thursday. The players treated him just as though he was not there. He was frozen out. That afternoon the players had more light training, this time on the field. Dick spent most of the afternoon dribbling a ball round the cinder track on his own. All his thoughts were concentrated on the thefts, for which he was being silently blamed. Suddenly he had an idea that might supply the proof he needed, proof of his own and his father's innocence. A quarter of an hour before training was due to finish, Dick slipped quietly away to the dressing room. He knew that ten minutes before the end of each training session, the assistant trainer Fred Bagley prepared the baths for the players. Dick crossed the dressing room to his locker and took out his cine camera, Then he slipped into a towel cupboard, leaving the door slightly ajar. He was only just in time. No sooner had he settled himself in than he heard someone coming into the room. Dick waited, peering through the slightly open cupboard door. Then, into his vision, came Fred Bagley. Dick raised his camera to his eye and watched. Dick's hunch had been right. The treacherous assistant trainer didn't go straight into the bathroom. During the next few minutes, the little camera faithfully recorded all Fred Bagley's movements. At last, with a triumphant glint in his eye, the assistant trainer left the room and went in to fill the player's bath. Dick waited until he heard the hissing of steam and the splash of water. Then he crept from the cupboard and darted out of the dressing room. Within a few moments, he was dashing through the tunnel in the direction of the street, still clutching his cine camera as he raced towards his home. He hadn't much time. Very shortly, the training would be over and the players would be back in the dressing room. He had to hurry. Meanwhile, back at the stadium, the players finished their training and went in for a welcome bath. There was no hurry, and by the time they were all out of the big plunge bath and the showers, nearly an hour had passed. ''Where's our new boy Dick Denby?'' asked Andy Masters as he dried himself and started to dress. ''I haven't seen him,'' answered one of the other players. His clothes are still hanging up over there, so he can't be far away. Other players drifted back into the dressing room. There was the usual din of chatter. Someone started up a rising chorus. Then suddenly, the mood changed. Hey, shut up there. Me wallet's gone, yelled one of the lads. Immediately, other players began to feel in the pockets of their clothes. Nearly all of them discovered money and various articles of value were missing. For several seconds, there was silence. Then the footballers looked meaningly across to where Dick Denby's clothes were hanging. Andy Masters walked over to Dick's peg. I'm going through his pockets, he said grimly. I feel I'm entitled to after all that's happened. He thrust his hands into Dick's pockets. Next moment he pulled out a collection of watches, pens, wallets and a heap of loose change. He arranged the collection on a bench in front of him. The other players pressed forward and there were angry cries as they recognised their stolen property. On the fringe of the group, Fred Bagley was standing, grinning confidently. Suddenly the door of the dressing room was thrown open. The startled players turned and caught a glimpse of a table placed outside the door in the dark corridor. On the table stood a small cine projector. Next moment, a hand slid around the wall and clicked off the electric light. Before the players could protest, a beam of light from the projector on the table in the corridor pierced the blackness of the room and threw a clear picture onto the white wall opposite. The footballers gasped in amazement as they recognised the interior of the changing room. Then followed dead silence as they saw Fred Bagley clearly portrayed in the film. They watched him rifling the pockets in the room, then deliberately plant the valuables in Dick Denby's clothes. The film lasted only a few minutes, then the light flashed on again. The assistant trainer, white-faced, continued to stare at the blank wall. Grab that rat, boys, cried Andy Masters. This is a matter for the boss. Then he turned as Dick squeezed past the table into the room. Well done, Dick, cried Andy. We've misjudged you, but you've unmasked a dirty plot that might have ruined your football career. We owe you an apology, Dick. An hour later, Dick Denby, followed by Bob Warner, burst into his father's shop. Dad, cried Dick. Bob Warner wants a new assistant trainer, and he wants you to take on the job. Dick's father could only gasp. But, he began. Now, never mind any buts, interrupted Bob Warner, Bracton's manager. If you're worried about that stealing business, then I'll tell you straight away that Fred Bagley has confessed. Then the whole story came out. When, many years ago, Fred Bagley had joined the United, he had been kept out of the first team by Dick's father. At last, in desperation, he had hit upon the idea of a frame-up. It was an unsavoury business but Bagley's unscrupulous plan worked and Dick's father had left the United in disgrace. Nothing more would have been heard of it and Fred Bagley's treachery might never have come to light if Dick Denby had not joined United. The moment Bagley saw Dick, he was scared that the son of his old rival might discover some clue to his father's frame-up. That's why he tried to keep Dick out of the club. "'Ee, it's really marvellous to know that my name's been cleared after all these years!' Dick's father smiled. Thank you, Bob. Don't thank me, said Bob Warner. Your son deserves all the credit. Anyway, what about my offer? Fred Bagley will never be allowed inside the club again, and I need an assistant. You can easily get someone to look after the shop for you. I'd be delighted, chuckled Dick's father after a brief moment's thought. Bob, Dick, between the three of us, we ought to be able to put the United back in the First Division. He was right. At the end of the season, Bracton United played their last game in the second division, and the star of their promotion winning side was the lad who has been spoken of as the finest left back in the country, Dick Denby. Well done to Dick Denby there, I hope you enjoyed that five part story. Seems to have gone down well with a a lot of you listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed kind of narrating it for you. And we're going to bring you a brand new story next week on the AFTN Soccer Show. So we talked about all the coronavirus news and how football shutdown is being played out across the globe in the first two parts. Talked about Belarusian football with FK Sluts at the start of this part. But this has also been a week where there's been a lot of other big football news coming out. Some very interesting stories, so it's only fitting to bring back BC Soccer Web Headlines. BC Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com. your one-stop site for local, national and international news, links, stories, features, and a lot more beside. Make it part of your daily routine, morning, noon and night. Check out bcsoccerweb.com. What's well, been catching my eye on the site this week and elsewhere? i the interwebs. Well, we're rejoined by Zach for this section of the show, and we're gonna kick things off with a, a big white cap story that JJ Adams from the, the province brought us this week. Although it was initially it came out on Twitter. A Twitter journalist from Venezuela had put out midweek that he had got hold of some internal MLS documents that, that were leaked to him. And it was explaining that Anthony Blondell had been suspended indefinitely by MLS. And then J.G. Adams wrote a story covering exactly why. And it's a story that we'd heard about a while back. We couldn't really talk about it because it, it was an ongoing situation. And we can't go into too many details about it just now because there is a a pending court case. So I I just kind of want to cover what we know is already out there from JJ's article. So former white cap striker Anthony Blondell was charged with sexual assault on October 8th, 2019. It stems from an incident on Saturday, May 12th, 2018. Police took him into custody, I believe, the next day at his apartment. Now... Anthony Blondell, in fact, played the following Saturday for the Whitecaps in, in an away game on May 19th. He didn't feature in the midweek game that week on May 16th at home to San Jose, but he did feature in Dallas on May 19th. And he went on to make nine more MLS appearances that season. So he he then went on loan to a Chilean side, which he then signed for at the end of the, the Whitecaps 2019 season. But in that time, the police investigation seemed to to have led to a charge, and he was charged on October 8th, 2019. Uh, He had returned to Vancouver to to speak to authorities regarding the case. A pre-trial date is set for December 1st, 2020, with the trial scheduled to start on January 12th, 2021. Now, this all came out because of these leaked MLS internal memos, JJ had contacted the White Caps who said that they can't really comment on it just now because it is an ongoing investigation that is leading to a court case. They they said that they were aware of it, that Blondell had told them that it was a personal matter. And I mean that there's so many questions coming out of this, and a lot of it we can't really go into because that JJ said that Blondell's lawyer had said that there was a reporting ban on the case, but when JJ has looked into it, he said that the only thing he found in the court documents, he said in his article, was that you couldn't um, name the victim or what the bail conditions were. So we're, we're not going to talk about the victim or any aspect of that. We want to look at it from the football side. And there are some questions swirling about that are yet to be answered. How much did the White Caps know? Had they told the Chilean club about this? Did Blondell tell the Chilean club about this? And what will the Whitecaps say when they can actually say something on it, which is probably going to be after the the court case. But in view of other things that's happened with the club recently, the women's abuse scandal, the the incident involving residency players, and and there's been other sort of issues over the last couple of years with the Whitecaps organisation, I mean, all in all, it's it's serious, it's worrying, it's upsetting and there's certainly a lot of questions which right now I don't think any of us can can really get answers to.
2: Yeah, this is, yeah, extremely disappointing uh, to hear that, that these kind of charges are being brought and obviously yeah, we can't, you know, talk about them until they've been proven in court and we, you know, we know, we know things as opposed to Speculating on things or yeah, we
1: should or, stress uh, as well blondell or yeah blondell is pleading his innocence in this
2: yeah the, the, in terms of the white cats and how to handle it yeah yeah they obviously they can't say anything because there's an ongoing uh, an, an ongoing investigation or the you know the trial's coming months from now or whatever so they can't say anything until that's all done it will be interesting to find out what the what they did know, and when they, when they did know it, if that will actually come out, uh, might, it might never come out, or might not fully come out, or might not come out from them, or whatever. This is another opportunity for Mark, especially Mark Panis and Axel Schuster, uh, maybe especially Panis, if he's been, you know, become the face of, of the club publicly, to really distance himself from how things have been handled in the past. So, nothing able to come until the, 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 the court case happens, that's fine. But after that, how he handles and how he expresses what went on, and how they are dealing with these kind of things, he has a law. He has an opportunity, another opportunity. Uh, it feels like he's had a number of opportunities hmm. to really distance himself from how they operated and functioned in the past. But it'll be interesting to see how Panis addresses this at the appropriate
1: time. Yeah, at a time as well where a lot of fans are kind of debating. Like, do they want to, to follow this team for various reasons, not just financially from coronavirus, but incidents that's happened in the past? I mean, this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back for, for a few people. So, I mean, it is going to be interesting to see how the, the white caps handle this. Like I said, we can't say too much more on it because of, of the, the pending court case. But if anything else does come out, we will we'll address it in future weeks. Moving on to, I was going to say slightly happier things, but it's not really. It's like Transfer Market. They wiped 9 billion euros off players' valuations worldwide this week. And I don't know how much stock you can really put in that because a lot of these values maybe aren't 100% accurate and obviously a lot of things can change and clubs can pay over the odds for players. But MLS clubs alone, 133 million euros, Devalued from the players in MLS, Atlanta and LAFC the hardest hit. My question in all of this, with the, the current financial constraints and everything that's going on, is this finally going to be the wake up call that football needs? That spending is ridiculously out of control, clubs have lived out with their means for years, transfer fees are obscene, wages are obscene, TV revenue is dictating how the game is played, and things like that? I mean, Is it pie in the sky? Is it just like a dream for me to hope that this is going to change football for the good? Or once this is over, are we just going to revert back to these bad ways?
2: I think it's a bit pie in the sky for you and that things will revert back to, you know, because a lot of people come to this as a business, right? You know, as football business primary number one, as opposed to uh, a sporting club for, you know, an expression of the community or whatever. Um, so I think you will see a lot of, you know, you'll see a lot of the same old once, once mm. you know, games are being able to play and all that kind of stuff. But as much as this headline is, did, did, did Manor re- write this article?
1: I think he had a hand in the right. MLS side of it. But I think it was a general transfer market thing across the globe.
2: So as much as you can say, oh, it's concerning or disturbing or unfortunate or these values are dropping? I mean, everyone knows why they're dropping, right? It's not like yeah. it's not like it's the end of the MLS season and the players perform terribly and like every game was, you know, won by an own goal and you know these players are not worth anything around the world, right? Um, this is because this world pandemic is happening, and for most MLS clubs, the valuation of your squad on transfer market is not a huge, huge thing, right? Sure, for some clubs, if yes, they can sell a player to Europe and make a Money that's that's helpful, but that has not really been a, like the norm in MLS. It of course it's happened, but I don't think you can go through every team and say they've made a million dollars off for of selling a player to Europe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um,
1: but I mean, the, th- the other thing as well is though is the money going to be there? Because a lot of big businesses, sponsors, and things like that are going to take a financial hit some fans might not be able to afford to go back to, to games when the games are back. So, I mean, that could have an impact and that the money just simply won't be there for some, some places.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole going back thing, I mean, once the once vaccine is in place and people are allowed to gather in public places, I think you'll see some pretty big celebrations of some of those early games. I mean, I liked it a couple weeks ago on the show... We had that suggestion from a White Cap supporter saying, "Hey, we need to do a you know a ma- we need to do a match where everyone gives a visit so that all the nurses and doctors yeah. and whoever you know who you know gave so sacrificially during this pandemic can go to a game. We need to have a game just to celebrate those people. Like, I think there's going to be pretty some once it's appropriate. I think there's going to be some pretty like you'll see all leagues like their first matches or every city their first game." In you know, whatever leagues they're a part of, will be pretty powerful public gathering. You know what I mean? Like oh, totally.
1: I, I'm really looking forward to 2022.
2: <laughs> you know yeah, and it might be, you know, it
1: could be. I don't, that, you know that was, that was that was our little yeah. joke that we had when this when we were first doing this when we were still in the studio. That was my little joke, 2022. That's yeah. now not looking unrealistic. You
2: so would say jokes are funny because they're true.
1: Yeah. yeah. Although folks say my jokes aren't funny to begin with, but. Uh, That's just my wife. Yeah. So the last story we're going to look at is we started off praising FIFA, but they were in the news this week because US prosecutors have charged former Fox sports executives in a FIFA bribery case. There was an article on the Wall Street Journal Now, two former Fox Sports executives have been charged with participating in an alleged scheme to pay millions of dollars in bribes to soccer officials in exchange for broadcasting rights, and this seems to be around the 2018 World Cup in Russia and 2022 in Qatar. Hernan Lopez and Carlos Martinez helped bribe officials at Conmebol, it's claimed, FIFA's uh, South American Federation, And according to a US grand jury indictment that was unsealed on Monday, the two men, who were high-ranking executives of a Fox Sports international subsidiary, they were responsible for developing Fox Sports broadcasting business in South America. They've pleaded their innocence. The latest indictment for the first time also directly alleges that several of FIFA's top executives received bribes to support Russia and Qatar's respective bids to host the 2018 and 2022 World Cups, and again, the Qatari and Russian bid teams have denied any wrongdoing. That This is just a story that won't go away, but nothing seems to be happening because of it.
2: Yeah. There's, there's, we've all seen, whatever, the documentaries and the reports of all the shady stuff that's happened around these voting for the World Cups, you know, going back to, well, to the 90s, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much money involved in these things that the, the you know the, the greed and the desire to to make money for your company or for your friends or whatever is so significant uh, in these decision making processes that it's, I mean, none of this is surprising. I mean, I, ultimately, you hope that if these people did wrong, that they you know have to live with the consequences for that.
1: Hmm. That a New York Times article that that came out today as well. They they said that the, the Swiss-based investigation into the Swiss-based FIFA, they've produced no convictions in five years and they dropped a criminal case against Set Blatter. So folk are saying that's just been basically for show. And I mean, the Russia World Cup, it's passed. Nothing can happen really badly for that now. There's no way they're going to take the Qatar one away at such close thing with the world and the mess that it's in, either. So, if there has been these things happening, which again, we'll stress that they deny, then it, it's going to be too late because both will have taken place. Yeah. Sad. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. I don't think. I don't think you're, you're not going to see. Um, obviously, a rush is happening. You're not going to see guitar change because of this. I can still. I can still see outside potential for, for guitar being changed for other reasons, than not for this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that could be interesting now to see what happens with all that. But that's our, our BC Soccer Web headlines for tonight. Check out more the BC Soccer Web Twitter account because Bill hasn't really been updating the, the site too much in the, the last couple of weeks. But yeah, he has retweeting lots of good stories on his Twitter feed. That is pretty much it for tonight's show. Just before we go, Zach, let everyone know where they can find you online.
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach.
1: That's great. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, Stay safe this week and we'll talk to you soon. Until then. But that is it for this week's show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with another packed episode. Until then, don't forget you can give me a follow on Twitter. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Give us a follow on Instagram at AFT in Soccer and on YouTube at AFT in Canada. Subscribe to the channel, we hope to have some videos going up coming weeks and months. And don't forget you can subscribe to our extra podcasts, donating $30 a year or $3 a month, getting you at least one extra podcast a month from AFTN and your money goes to help support the site at these difficult times. Thank you to all our existing subscribers. Your continued support of AFTN is very much appreciated. But until next week, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.